Welcome in, everybody, to EdTech Bites. Mike Sassir, Kelly Berderi, and Kim Landtroop here, ready to dive into everything related to the world of education and educational technology. Follow us on Twitter at DCPS at EdTechBytes to join the conversation. Kelly and Kim, first off, how are you both? And what's something exciting that you're both doing this weekend? I'm going to let Kim go first. Yeah. (laughs) I have a very exciting weekend planned. We are actually taking a ride to the University of Florida. Go Gators, chomp, chomp, um, to see my son and to go to the Gator versus Kentucky football game. So that's going to be really fun. We're having a big cookout beforehand. That is going to be fun. And we're going to be doing something football related later. So more on that to come. That's a little teaser. (laughs) All right, Michael. Um, I'm actually going to be going to New York. I mentioned it on episode one, so if you listen to that, shout out. But I'm going to fly up to see my family on Long Island for my sister and my mom's birthday. Get to have some nice family time and uh, see what they're all up to. Nice. And to top you both, I'll be doing laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. I know. The most exciting thing. That is so much fun. We have another packed show planned for you all with two new segments. We're going to start off our appetizer with our first educator spotlight segment, move on to the main course, continuing our 21st century learning design skill collaboration, and then round up the show with our dessert segment, where we'll be doing our first draft. More details on that later. But for now, let's move on to the appetizer. As promised, we're introducing a new segment for our appetizer called Educator Spotlight where we'll be highlighting some incredible work that educators are doing that we want to shout out and highlight. We're going to be doing this a couple times um, throughout the year, and hopefully we get some of those educators to actually come on the show and talk about the great things that they're doing in their classroom. Because we know teaching is super hard, it's super demanding, and it's super tiring. We want to make sure that teachers know how much we love and appreciate them. So I'm going to let Kim kick it off with her Educator Spotlight. Well, my educator spotlight today is going to be Mr. Maxwell over at the Anchor Academy. He is a fifth grade teacher there, and he's really doing some amazing things with technology. Um, He currently runs a flipped classroom, so he makes all kinds of instructional videos. He does teach math. He makes instructional videos that the kids watch at home for their homework. If he has students that do not have access to a computer or Wi-Fi at home, when they come into class that day, they know the first thing they need to do is get on the computer and watch uh, the videos that he has put together. So as they are doing that, he walks around and provides support. And then if the students finish a little bit early, he has them actually then going on and making tutorials for other students to watch on all the different math skills. So some really exciting things are happening over there at the Anchor Academy. That sounds awesome. Yeah, they're just really doing a lot of additional things in the classroom rather than just having a lesson because they've done that lesson at home as part of their homework. What an effective use of class time and empowering for the students to be then in turn going and making their own lessons. That's so exciting. I feel like a flipped classroom is definitely something we talked about maybe highlighting on the show as, as a potential season. So look out for that, too. Definitely. I want to shout out a friend of mine. His name is Yvonne Matos. He teaches at Sandalwood High School. Um, He is an 11th grade U.S. history teacher. He formerly taught government. And Sandalwood is a Title I school. It's a really diverse school. And every year he has students in his classes that don't speak English. They speak many different languages. He has, I know, a couple classes this year where he has multiple students that speak different languages in one class. Mm. So the challenge is during his direct instruction, how do you reach those students? And we've had conversations over the summer and he is all gung-ho about using PowerPoint Live. 
And for those that don't know, PowerPoint Live is a, an ability for you as a teacher to actually have your students join your PowerPoint session. And when they do that on their own laptops, they can then use subtitles in whatever language that they choose. And this allows these ELLs, these English language learners, to become more engaged with what he's saying. They can actually take better notes, they can listen, and they can read as he's speaking. And it really helps the development of the, of the English language so much more than in other classes. So much so, and this is the exciting part, is that the students and the para that work with the students are actually asking him now, can he speak to other teachers in the school to try to get them to adopt PowerPoint Live? So the kids are advocating. That's so that, amazing. That's, that's the amazing. best part. It's like, I mean, I had so many ELL kids that almost feel distant because you don't really know how to reach them because you don't speak their language. So you're dealing with a, an app on your phone maybe to translate. But if you're doing something that allows them to feel connected to what you're saying, they're so eager to learn and want to get involved in the lesson more right. so than they would normally because they don't know the language. Right. They feel like they're able to because they're understanding what's going on instead of just sit, sitting there completely lost and afraid to say anything because, of course, they can't really describe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And think about now how many teachers actually use PowerPoint, just the regular PowerPoint, not necessarily the live version, already to do their classes. So mm-hmm. it's really not a huge stretch to do the PowerPoint live because they just have to open it in that online version and they could still use the same PowerPoints that they've been using. Yeah. And another friend of mine at the same school, he's two years away from retirement and he also is starting to use PowerPoint live. He actually still uses DVDs and VHSs and stuff, which is crazy, but you know, that's great for him. It works. And, um, for one of his DVDs, he popped in the DVD and he uses PowerPoint live now as well because of Mr. Matos. And it picks up the translation from the DVD because the The TV audio is now going through the computer, which is then translating it for the students in the PowerPoint Live. So they actually get the the sense of what's happening just because he's using that program for his videos, which is just unbelievable that an older teacher also can adopt something that is pretty simple to use Mm -hmm. and really reach a lot more students that way. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay, with all that out of the way, we're going to jump right into the main course. For our main course today, we're going to continue our season theme on 21st century learning design. Remember last episode, we discussed the first skill of 21st CLD, which was knowledge construction. And today we're diving into the second skill, which is collaboration. And knowledge construction, as a reminder, is the foundation of those 21st century learning skills that we are focused on. And to, in its very simplest form, it's simply students putting in the work to construct their own understanding. Instead of passively receiving information, they are working towards building their understanding and knowledge. And now Kim is going to introduce our next skill, collaboration. So the ability to collaborate with others is a 21st century skill that students will need when they leave school and move into the workforce. So in the classroom, a common mistake is placing learners in small groups and giving them a task but merely doing this doesn't guarantee collaboration. We all have had experiences where we were part of a group project and the balance of work was off. So too often, a group of learners may share responsibility for an outcome, but in practice, the work isn't divided fairly. So we need to be very purposeful on how we structure collaboration in the classroom. 
So to learn effective collaboration skills, children must work with others in very specific ways. So thinking about this, activities that promote collaboration require learners to first share responsibility. They need to develop a product, a design, or a response. They have to collectively own the work and be mutually responsible for its outcome. They also need to make substantive decisions together about the content, the process, or the product of their work. So substantive decisions, hard time saying that, are decisions that shape the content, process, or product of their work. They're going to make decisions regarding content when they use their knowledge on a topic to make a decision that affects the academic content of their work together. And finally, they need to work interdependently. As educators, we need to design activities where each learner's contribution is easily distinguished. Each learner should be able to say, if I hadn't contributed this part, we would not have achieved our goal. So a lot of interdependent work involves two levels of accountability. First, the individual accountability, where every member of the team is responsible for a task that they have to complete for the group to succeed, but also group accountability, where they must all work together to produce the final product or outcome. They have to negotiate and agree on the process design and conclusions of their work. So when we are developing these things for collaboration, we need to keep all of those um, aspects in mind. So let's think about shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are some things that you can do as a teacher to make sure groups have shared responsibility? Well, I know, um, well, I come from the world of elementary, and a lot of times we, um, you know, assign specific jobs when the students were working together. I remember when I was teaching second grade, and I would have, you know, they would be doing a writing activity, and I would have the capitalization captain or the punctuation police. So they had a very specific... <laughs> Alliteration. Well, second grade, I know. So they had um, very specific tasks that I assigned them to be in charge of so that everybody had a job to do. And I think that was helpful, especially for those young learners, because a lot of times if you just say, here, I want you guys to complete it, you know, especially with some of the littles, you know, they'll get off task and run. So giving them very And for the big jobs. people too. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> the high school world, they, they, you know, they can't follow any, any directions without guidance <laughs> unless you have clear guidelines. And I think that's also where it comes down to. So if you make sure it's established roles, um, if you make them claim, like talk about their roles beforehand and actually tell you what their roles are, then they're, you can hold them accountable for those mm -hmm. roles and make sure that one person is not dominating the decisions of that group. Right. Like I've, every time I've done any kind of group work, they've created their group expectations and rules and they created their own rubrics. So for each job or whatever it would be, they had a rubric that was completed and agreed upon in the group. And they even created their own um, consequences for things if somebody didn't live up to that. their oh, expectations. I love that too. They created what the consequences would be. And a lot of times the students would say, if you do this two times or three times, then you're not in the group anymore. You're going to work independently. Um, and I only had one group that actually needed <laughs> to remove somebody, somebody from um, their group and they had to work, work that happened once. Um, but they bought into it so much more than me telling them, okay, these are the jobs, these are the rules, mm -hmm. um, Yeah, you know, follow my directions, then they put that effort forward. Yeah, I, I think that. a lot of classrooms do that for like uh, classroom rules, mm -hmm. like in the end of the year, mm -hmm. like let's make classroom rules together. Um, but I don't think we think about that with group work for some reason. It's be maybe because it takes time. Yeah. It takes additional time to do that. But if you, if you just take that additional time, the buy-in is so much better. Mm-hmm. 
And that makes the product so much better. Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Because then they keep each other accountable. And they have a reason to do so. And they can pull out the rules. So remember, you agreed this. You signed here on this paper saying that you would abide by these rules that and we created. nobody wants to be responsible for doing all of the work of the no. group project by themselves. So they're more willing to follow along with the norms that have been created. Yeah. Okay. So substantive decision making. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of that for a group? Well, they have to decide what they're going to do when they're going to do it, what tools they want to use for it, and who is going to complete each task. So okay, they so have ju- to... just playing devil's advocate, mm-hmm. shouldn't the teacher decide what they're doing? The teacher can set forth the overall goal, right? But they don't necessarily need to determine how the students achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. So you can set, like, here's the standard. This is what you need to show me you understand. And then, okay, how are you going to do that? Right. And they're really learning, like, life valuable skills that they're going to need to take into the workplace, you know, because we're given problems all the time. Which (laughs) brings us back to 21st Seal Day. Yes, I was just going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's why collaboration is included as a vital skill, because very rarely do you do anything completely by yourself when you are entering into a job. And then interdependent work. And this is something that I think a lot of times group work misses out on is the interdependence of the group work because you usually have a product like, for example, you have a poster. And a single poster is hard to have interdependence because the kids are all working on that one poster and you don't really know who did what, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you color code it somehow or whatever. But one kid from that group could just take the poster home and do that poster and bring it back and say, okay, this was group work. Right. But interdependence is all about making sure that the product has markers of each kid, each kid in that group. If that student is not in that project, that product is not whole. An example that I always think about is a student presentation for a group and each kid has a slide. Mm -hmm. If you remove that one student slide, will the product make sense as a whole? If the answer is no, then then it's interdependent work. If the answer is yes, then maybe it's not interdependent. Right. Yeah, I agree. And and. What really kind of jumped out at me when I was really doing a little bit of research just to prepare for this is was the sentence, if I hadn't contributed this part, we would not have achieved our goal. And I think that's exactly what you were saying there. And lastly, I just want to talk through some fears of collaboration. I kind of listed a couple fears, personality types mm-hmm. of students, mm-hmm. obviously staying on task, and then time. So I know a lot of teachers have fears when it comes to getting kids in groups. They want kids in rows because they want to make sure that, you know, they can direct the learning and that it's quiet. It's a learning environment that suits a lot of students. So how could you address some of those fears? Well, I know it's difficult, but you have to consider all your students, right? And that's often the fear, but the majority of our students work better when they're in groups or they're happier working Mm -hmm. in groups and having that collaboration. There's the few that would rather just work independently and work alone, but there's such a benefit for them to get to know other people that they would not necessarily talk to if they weren't forced to, you know, that's a terrible word, forced, but if they really weren't encouraged encouraged to be <laughs> yeah. in a group. I've had students that would cry because I was making them be in a group, yep. but then they found a friend that ended up being a best friend for as long as they went forward. Yeah. Um, and so they like came back as almost adults and thanked me for making them work in a group. Yeah. That's the best when they come back and they're like, we really realized <laughs> how amazing you were. We were a dorky middle schooler and didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think creating groups carefully is important mm-hmm. when you're a teacher. Um, thinking about those personality types is important. Think about where students are at and their learning is important. You know, right. mixing and matching those learning styles is important. Um, making sure that there's plans for your students to follow, that you are well, well prepared with your group work, that it's not just here, you four get together and you start. Because that's not going to lead to very productive group work. And that's going to lead to some of these problems that teachers have fears about. Right. And you give them the opportunity to learn each other's skills so that they can Uh see, oh, you're really good at art. Maybe you Mm -hmm. can help with this aspect of the project. Or you're a really good writer. You can, you know, help us formulate this part. So really just learning to how to match those skills so they can really create a phenomenal end product and learn to work with people who aren't the people they might naturally gravitate towards. Right, because in the workforce, they're not going to always get to choose who they work with. So you have to learn different personalities and what works for you. And I think also, if you have teachers that are apprehensive, just letting them know it is going to look different than what they might think their classroom should look like. That's We have, yeah, it's loud. It's messy. I mean, my classroom was always like the crazy classroom because I always had different kids doing different things based on their skill levels, based on the projects they chose. So you could walk into my classroom and it looks like I have absolutely no control. But if you looked really closely what my students were doing, they were all on task. And I didn't care if they were loud because they were excited and they were engaged in what they were doing. So just letting those teachers know that, you know, maybe like having them in rows and it's silent while they're doing work, like that's not necessarily what it's going to look like. And that's okay. Yeah. And we know administrators come in and ask, sometimes ask students, hey, what are you working on today? And if they're sitting in rows and they're reading a story or doing whatever quiet work, they're like, "Um, I'm, I'm reading this story and look to see what it's called or I'm working on this worksheet, they can't match it to an end goal. But if you have them in groups and there's a lot of intention behind what they're doing, then they are, oh yeah, we're making this and we're working and they're excited about what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they're actually able to make a connection to the standards, which is what you want them to be doing and not just regurgitating whatever it is that they happen to be looking at in that moment. Yeah, and if you think about the time that it takes, that's also the big fear of, of a lot of educators Make these group projects based on not one standard or one thing. Make right. it a make it a unit project or a multiple unit project. That way you can have these groups kind of flush out and actually make those rules of of procedures and actually have those roles and kind of understand each other's skills. And that that will just create a better end product and a deeper learning of what you're trying to accomplish. So with that, let's move on to the dessert section. For today's dessert, in honor of the football season being back, we're going to be doing a draft. And here's how that's going to work. We're going to have a topic or question, and then we're going to go around the table in order, selecting answers. But just like the real draft, you can't take an answer that has already been used. And the draft order is going to be a snake draft, which means who gets the last pick in the first round gets the first pick in the second round, and the order reverses. And then at the end of the list, we'll make sure we state our full team and we'll have a little competition there on Twitter to see who wins. Like always, we'll start with a practice round or a fun round, and then we'll get into the ed tech round for all of our teachers out there. So for our first round, we're going to be doing best food chains, restaurant or fast food. And for our second round, we're going to be doing best ed tech applications, tools or websites to create student engagement. So those are our two rounds. Now we got to figure out the order of the snake draft. And we have live on the podcast a random name picker. So we're going to see who gets to go first. Kelly gets oh, to go first. Woo. So it's going to go Kelly, 
myself, then Kim, then Kim again, then myself, then Kelly. And we'll do that for three rounds and we'll see who has the best team. So we're starting again with best food chains, restaurant or fast food. Now, just to be clear here, we are in Jacksonville. This needs to be a, a place that you could get if you went on vacation to another city in the country. It can't just be a Jacksonville chain. It has to be a chain that you can get kind of anywhere. That's the Understood. idea. Okay. Fast food or restaurant. Kelly. Starbucks. Dang it. <laughs> dang it, dang it, dang it. I really thought that was going to come back to me. <laughs> Is that your number one? Of course it's my number one. But I really thought that you weren't going to think Starbucks was a food place. Oh, I got real creative with my uh, uh, with I should have known better. I should have known better. So, yeah, Starbucks. Okay. Well, dang, now, I, now I'm already tilting because I thought I was going to get Starbucks. Oh, you're going to have to pivot. Oop. Okay, I think I'm going to go with, this one's not coming back to me, I don't think. So I'm going to go with Panera. <gasps> you little stinker. <laughs> that was going to be mine. Yeah, Panera is a gold mine of just joy and happiness. And their kitchen sink cookie alone could be number one on my list. Mm, true. But I think of all of the places... I don't know why I just feel healthiest when I eat there. Like, it's not that healthy, but I feel like I kind of am eating normal food. Decent portion size. There's always a vegetable somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Someone described it as um, upgraded hospital food, and I can't get that out of my mind. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah. It's way, way better than hospital yeah, food. Yes. But yeah, so I'm going to go with Panera. Ugh, that was going to be mine. Okay, well, Kelly stole my Starbucks. So. I know, and now look at you doing the same thing to me. Okay, I think, and this is more going to be a fast food restaurant, but I was introduced to Culver's when I went out to Missouri mm. to see my family. And this was before we had any of these Culver's in Jacksonville. Both my kids and I, we just fell in love with their burgers. And then, lo and behold, now we have a couple in Jacksonville. So I get to enjoy it here as well. But they just have the best burgers. And they also have really good custard. Even mm. though I'm not a huge custard person. But yeah. every now and then, they've got some good flavors. Okay, what's the difference between custard and ice cream? Ooh, it's something to do with the way it's made. I would assume. I have so. no idea. So I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> but like I I'm couldn't not. tell you. What Why would you ask that question? Well, how would we know? <laughs> I mean, I was only introduced to custard when I moved. To Jacksonville. I'd never heard of custard I always before. think of custard as like soft ice Doesn't it have soft ice cream? I, I want to say it, it has egg somewhere, but I oh, could be way wrong. We're going to need to Google and figure that out. All right, so Kim, you have another pick. <gasps> oh, it's me again. Hmm. You know, I'm going to go with, I really like a good um, Chili's burger. Mm. So Chili's is a good one. You can find those everywhere. And it's more of a sit-down have someone wait on you type of place as opposed to fast food, which was my last pick. Interesting. I, I had chilies on my list. I was wondering if it was if I was going to get it later on because they're honey chipotle chicken crispers. Mm, I know so... you're looking forward to that airport chilies when <laughs> oh, you go yeah. later. I mean, Jacksonville does not have a lot of food options, but they do have a chilies to go. And I will be getting those honey <laughs> chipotle chicken crispers. That is a fact. Okay, so it's back to me. Now, do I play the game? Because I know Kelly doesn't want this one. Like, I know for a fact she yeah. won't pick my next pick on my list. Huh. So I'm going to pivot. Oh, boy. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to go. Oh, man, this is tough. I'm going to go with Zaxby's. Mm. I'm going to go with Zaxby's because I didn't know anything about Zaxby's when I was living in New York. And Zaxby's is a revelation in terms of chicken. <laughs> 
It's a revelation. I'll go. I'll go as far as to say that. Okay. Like people love Chick Fil A, which might be on some people's list. It's it's on my list. It's just further down. There is no competition between who has better chicken. It's Zaxby's. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Now I, I like the menu on Chick Fil A, but Zaxby's chicken and their Zax sauce. Oh, the sauce is <laughs> on. And now they have spicy Zax sauce. It's like game. It's like why are we even? There's no competition anymore. This is ridiculous. So I'm gonna go with Zaxby's there. Terrible for you, but I hope. <laughs> <laughs> it is delicious. But you can get it. You can get a salad. Yeah, just throw some sure. fried chicken on top. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, some fried chicken. Do you feel Tons of ranch. A little healthy. A little thousand two hundred calorie salad. No big deal. Right. Perfect. Still super, good though. Super healthy. Okay, so I had to make sure that this one was not just I, I knew it wasn't just Jacksonville, but I had to make sure it was broader. Mm. Insomnia cookies. Insomnia cookies. Yeah. Okay. This is such a Kelly pick. <laughs> Explain. Um, because you can get a really amazing cookies, but not just cookies. You can get cookie sandwiches. <gasps> Stop! I've never even heard of insomnia. Cookies. I have not had this either. I mean, they're ice cream sandwiches, but still, they're sandwiches. Now we're back on now frozen custard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's real ice cream, okay. not custard. Okay. They're delicious. I. I Where is this you. located? There's one here. There's one near Tinseltown. <gasps> Road trip with the team. Yeah, but apparently, when in my research, you can also order them and have them delivered. Their cookies deli- they deliver all over the place. What? That's When's your birthday again? October. 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 But oh. now remember, we already have a milkshake place picked up. I know, but I gotta share my birthday now. So doesn't mean we can't deliver cookies. Though. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That could be the special special treat. Okay, so you have insomnia cookies. Interesting pick. Interesting pick. Yes. Um, oh, and I get to choose again. You do. This is your last pick. All right. This is pressure right here. It does. You need to make a smart choice here. I'm going to no. choose Waffle House. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because they're dependable. Ugh. You always know exactly what you're going to get out of Waffle House. Some waffles? Yeah. I so waffle far House. not even on my radar. I, I can't even tell you. That was the most Southern pick I've ever heard, <laughs> Kelly. You just told the world where you're from. Well, that's funny. What's your favorite thing to get at Waffle House? Waffles. Okay. Well, actually, like the, question, whole, Michael. the whole breakfast. <laughs> Waffles, eggs, bacon. I love to watch them cooking the bacon on hmm. a big griddle. Yeah. It's impressive work. You know. It's impressive work. That is, they're doing the Lord's work, I guess, <laughs> back there. Oh, and like hash browns. Like hash browns in one spot, bacon in another spot, eggs on another spot. Just cooking mm. all kinds of things at the same time. So you don't need to get a job at Waffle House. You seem to really love it. Oh, no, I could never work there. <laughs> By the way, all these places, not a sponsor. Right. Nope, definitely right. Not, not a sponsor. Okay, so I knew this would get back to me because I, Kelly has a problem with this place. Um, it's Chipotle. Ugh. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to have to fight because Chipotle is like Panera. It's the Mexican it, It's like you're Panera. getting real food fast. And that's, that's a difference between fast food. They, they're both qualified as fast food, but it feels more like real food. Like, I know this is a chicken breast or chicken thigh. I know that this is real lettuce and cheese and pico de gallo. Like, this is some, it's not. That's sitting all out yeah. in the tub. Oh, like Waffle House is the cleanliest they crack place. crack those eggs fresh <laughs> onto the griddle. Mm. Do they clean the griddles? Yeah, they scrape them off. Ew. In between. I don't know. I've been to Chipotle. I don't really necessarily have a problem with it. But mm. if I'm going to have Mexican food, there's other places I would go first. Oh, Chipotle Chipotle chicken, double chicken, 
with that new cilantro lime rice chef's kiss. <laughs> chef's kiss. Okay, so the, so I'm I'm done. So up to Kim to round us out. All right, my last one is going to be a restaurant because I love a good steak. So I'm going to pick Outback. That was a list too. Was it? Look yeah. at us. Their blooming onion is so delicious, and I'm just all about oh the bread. Yeah, and... the brown bread is amazing. Yes, it's so good. So good. All right, yep. let's let's read off our teams. So Kelly, Starbucks, Insomnia Cookies, and Waffle House. Kim, Chili's, Culver's, and Outback. And the best team, Panera, Zaxby's, <laughs> and Chipotle. <laughs> now, on to round two. We are going to look at what are the best ed tech applications, tools, or websites to create student engagement. Okay, let's do the name generator again to see who goes first this time. Whoa. I go first. Hey, look at that. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, this is going to upset both of you that I have you the first pick. You better not because say that. It's, just, it's too easy to not pick this. <laughs> I have to pick this one. I'm going to be upset with you. It's Minecraft. Oh, that was oh. mine first. <laughs> now, I will admit, I personally was not in the Minecraft world when I was a teacher. I didn't know really about it. I was, I don't know if I was afraid, not knowledgeable. I didn't have professional development on it. But seeing what I've seen in the Playcraft Learn classroom that we have in Duval County, the Minecraft lab, seeing the engagement that those kids have and what I know to be true about game-based learning, there is literally infinite number of possibilities of things to do and create in Minecraft. That's what, that's what makes it engaging, is that the kids can actually be a part of a world, design and learn and work together to do something creative that they can have as their final product to showcase their learning, which is just unbelievable. And the fact that they have it on our computers in DCPS is awesome. I have to agree with you. That was going to be my first one too. Um, and just thinking about a time that I was using it in the classroom, I was stepping into substitute teach and there were no lesson plans. The teacher had to leave unexpectedly. And so I taught the math lesson on equivalent fractions. And then as a follow-up, I allowed them to do the world on Minecraft for equivalent fractions. And those fourth graders were so engaged and so excited, they actually voted to skip recess so they could continue <laughs> to do math in a Minecraft world, which was just amazing. Thank you for validating my first pick. Yes, <laughs> yes, which is why it was also my first pick. So now what is your first pick? Well, since you stole that one again, I am going to pick Flip, formerly Flipgrid. It's a good pick. Um, another application that I've done with kids that they were so excited about. We were reading a story, we were talking about cause and effect and what that meant, and the kids had to put a video together and give examples from the story, and I allowed them first to play with it because this was in a classroom where these students had never used this platform, so I gave them some time just to do the frames and the stickers and all the fun little things you can do on Flip. So they got so excited, they felt like they were making a TikTok. Aww. And so it was really, really great. That was um, third grade that did that. That's so awesome. Love it. Yeah, all right, so mine. I'm gonna go with like an old school kinda. It feels old school. Kahoot. Oh, Kahoot was oh, on my yeah. list. Was it? Yeah, totally. Love Kahoot. I feel like it's gotten like not it's not used as often as it was, but yeah. it is such a great way to keep kids engaged I and to hold them it. accountable for things because you can trick them into taking a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and they're excited about it and they'll actually study because they want to be able to push that button first. When my kids heard the Kahoot song coming from my classroom, they were so excited. Oh, yeah. These are 11th graders. 
that were like, oh my god, we're playing Gahute? No, <laughs> stop, stop. Really? We're playing? Seriously? Like, they would just get just over the moon about it. That's a great pick. Yeah. And you get to go again now. Oh, I do. Ooh, okay. Um, Lost in the snake. <laughs> Wakelet. Oh, Kim is just getting sniped over here with her picks. I know. Like, everything on my list. Jeez Louise. Um, Wakelet is something that I used a lot before I even joined this team. I used it a lot in my classroom, and it was a really great platform to just put content for kids and organize instructions. And for whatever reason, they were more apt to engage with the content in Wakelet than if I were to give it to them in any other way. Yeah, Wakelet's amazing. I agree. We're going to talk about Wakelet a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so we're up to me. I'm going to pick whiteboard because I think kids really enjoy the different features. And now that whiteboard has the little emojis where you can like each other sticky notes. And, you know, there's just so many different things you can do with it. And they can all work together collaboratively from their own separate devices. So I think that's another great one um, for student engagement because it's, it's just fun. I enjoy playing with whiteboard. Yeah, whiteboard's a great pick. So I have two picks. Uh, my last two picks. <clears throat> this is tough. I have so many good ones on my list. Um, I'm gonna go with Canva because I, I think it's it's another endless platform for creativity, for collaboration. Um, and we've talked a lot about Canva, I think on other episodes too. It's an insane platform for students to use. And we have the pro account in Duval County Public Schools, which is sweet. Mm-hmm. I actually use Canva all the time for our work too, which just is mm-hmm. a lot of yes. fun. Yeah. And it keeps me engaged as well. Like when I'm in Canva designing something, I feel like an hour goes by in a second. That's true. And that's how kids feel when they're designing something and being creative. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, I got to take it. It's a huge, it's huge, but it's not traditionally seen, I think, as like, like the rest of these. YouTube. Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna take YouTube. Sure. Because I, you know, as a history teacher, I would always have minute clip here, minute and a half, two minute clip here just to break up the lesson and also to give them some, another resource right um to see history like the way it should be seen like you actually get to kind of put a face to words and kind of understand context a little bit better so youtube was i mean i use youtube all the time mm-hmm. i couldn't imagine teaching without it and it's such an incredible resource oh so it's up to me um you know what i'm gonna go with the tried and true powerpoint because interesting there's a lot it's kind of similar to your reasonings that you gave for canva because i had canva on my list as except well. not as good reasonings yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's got the capability one to go powerpoint live which we were talking about oh, earlier with true. our spotlight so you can keep your students engaged especially those ells if they need yeah. those translation features use my own argument against me i did i took that and twisted it right around and so um also there's a lot of design aspects to it so if students are working together to create something a project or presentation they have a lot of different choices of templates and things like that and it has the ability to be collaborative they can all work through the same document so boom (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to pick for my last one uh, a website uh, called jeopardylabs.com um it's one i used a lot in the classroom and i loved it i know a lot of people do jeopardy style games and i've seen a lot in powerpoint or in google slides but jeopardy labs is really cool because it allows you to select like a number of groups that are participating and then it automatically calculates points for those groups if they answer the question correctly um so i used it a lot for review 
and had more students actively participating in the review, of course, because they can win. But I also did trash get ball style Jeopardy. So they every a member from each of the teams came up and had to get a, ba- a ball in a basket in order to be able to answer the question. And if they couldn't get that. it, then they had to pass it on to somebody else. But it was like the most fun thing. We did it a few times a year before big tests and the kids just loved playing. If you can nail a review game, like there's nothing You're better. It, yeah. There's nothing better in the classroom. Because no. kids are like having fun. They're like telling you what they know. They want to beat their classmates and just they're just having a ball. All right, let's kind of run down our list real quick. Let's start with Kim. Okay, so my three were Flip, Whiteboard, and PowerPoint. And mine were Kahoot, Wakelet, and JeopardyLabs.com. And mine were Minecraft Education Edition, Canva, and YouTube. Do you guys have any honorable mentions that you'd like to shout out for your EdTech engagement? Another one that Kelly and I actually used when we were teaching virtually last year was Quizzes, which is similar to Kahoot. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like a quiz style game show type thing for review. One honorable mention I had was Spotify. Oh. Which is just kind of like, my thought process was like YouTube. Like I would play Spotify playlists in my classroom all the time. And it's just like background noise while they're working. I used Brain Pop when I was a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Gim Kit's really popular. I've never oh, yeah, used it, either. but Gim Kit is really popular. Same with Go Noodle. Oh yeah. When I was a... Uh, when I was helping out in a kindergarten classroom, the teacher mm-hmm. used Go Noodle, and those kids would go noodle <laughs> for these videos, like little transitional videos where they'd get up and move and do a dance and just something to keep it fun yeah. while get they were doing their break. work. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, and then there's the Nearpod and Pear Deck, which we don't play around with a lot, but they are really cool platforms for engagement because they have a variety of activities that students are completing live within the the content, the course of a lesson. Okay, make sure to follow us on Twitter at DCPS at EdTechBytes, where we'll actually have a poll for you to choose who drafted the best teams for our best food chain draft and for our best EdTech applications, tools, websites for student engagement. Thanks for joining us today. And remember to follow us on Twitter to keep the conversation going. Until next time. I'm Mike. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kim. Thank you so much for listening to EdTech Bikes. Bye-bye.